The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you uh, for the next 30 minutes, as always on Saturday mornings. A uh, frank, honest, open conversation about gambling addiction uh, as always, joining me from Epic Risk Management, our friend Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Craig. How are you this morning? Doing very well, thanks. And really happy to have uh, a legend in the gambling addiction recovery world, uh, Bruce W., who's got more than 50 years of uh, recovery uh, on his resume, joins us this morning. Bruce, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I like that legend thing. Thank yeah, you. well, listen, 50 years is 50 years. It's, you know, it's one of those things I've said a lot of times on this show. One of the reasons that uh, I kept going back to GA meetings, there was a guy in this one particular room that I found in Basking Ridge, New Jersey, who had been going for about 30 years. And I said to him after a meeting one day, listen, clearly you got this licked. Why do you still come every week for 30-plus years? And his answer was immediate. He said, I come, and that's why I've been able to do it. He goes, if I didn't come next week, I'm not sure if I'd be able to not gamble. He goes, so coming to the meeting every week is what kind of keeps me sane and keeps me out of trouble. And I would guess that it's the same for you, that the meetings have been the standard for you and why you've been able to go so long without gambling. Am I right? Yeah, that's true. I I go because uh, I always feel better when I leave a meeting. I go because uh, it's become part of my life. Uh, I, I attend two meetings a week. I've been attending two meetings a week uh, since I came in. And it's, it's just, you know, it turned my life around. But you know what? I like giving back. Giving is receiving, Craig. And the more I give back, the more I get. And it's so wonderful to see people who are new in the program become abstinent, turn their lives around, and become successes. And uh, if I can be part of that journey, it's, it's really a great thing. I have awesome. no desire to gamble. And, I have no desire to gamble. And listen, and that's the key, that you can turn your life around. You can uh, enjoy the good things in life once you uh, figure out that, you know, you're powerless uh, against the addiction and you need help to conquer it. So let's go all the way back. Um, <laughs> when did your gambling start? Because it obviously started before... You know, tech, the technology of today, I imagine it was a piece of paper and a pencil, but walk us through the start for you. Well, I, I had that standard textbook start, you know, uh, flipping cards in school, pitching pennies and all that, playing card games in the neighborhood. My father was a compulsive gambler. Uh, my uncle gambled. So we, I grew up in a gambling environment in the Borough Park, uh, Bensonhurst area. And, uh, you, know, you know, you know, one of the main things, one of the things that I've seen over the years, is that we win the first time. So I want, I used to handicap for my father. And I used to, at that time, there was a daily mirror and the daily, you know, the mirror in New yep. York. And yep. they had an, they had a thing in the sports page where the guy, uh, a column would give a tip. But if you bought the sheet, you got a real, real extra insight to the winners of that day, which he would do in code. So my father says, let's go to the track. And this was the first time we went to Aqueduct. And based upon that code and whatever, I picked out, we picked out the double, we paid $176, and the horse in the second race was disqualified, and our horse was put in as the winner. Uh, we were so happy. I said, holy, this is, 
this is easy. This sure. is really, really something. And that's that's what got me started. I started playing, uh, picking out the horses for my father and listening to the results and betting. And, uh, and then I started getting involved with sports. For and then you- I became addicted. Yeah, for you, what was the uh, what was the 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 gamble that you uh, fell to? Was it more horse racing? Was it more the daily sports uh, stuff? Sports. Horses and sports. And give us so an I idea. Of how yeah. bad was it? Like when you look back on your life now and you uh, look at yourself as a younger man, how bad was the actual addiction? All right. So let me let me tell you what happened. So I was uh, stealing uh, at a brokerage house, Payne Weber, Jackson, and Curtis. They're out of business, I guess I could say their name. And uh, I got caught. I was stealing for three years. And on Friday, then they caught me. And they interrogated me for about a week. And then on a Friday afternoon, January 29th, 1971, a detective came into the place and uh, and uh, arrested me. <laughs> you have the right to remain silent. I said, oh, my, I can't believe I'm hearing this. And he said to me, uh, uh, we're going to take you over to the first precinct. And I asked him, can, can we do this on Monday? Let me go home for the weekend. He said, I'm I'm retiring in a couple of weeks. I just can't take the chance. He took me over to the uh, first precinct. They uh, fingerprinted me. They uh, took a photo of me with my number across my chest. And the detective said, does anybody know about what's going on? I says, no. He says, you want to tell anybody? So I said, let me call my father up. And he happened to be working at the same place in a different department. I called him up. He says, Bruce, is what I'm hearing about you true? And I said, yes. And uh, they took me over to the tombs. And I'm there. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm so nervous. I'm in a, a cell with about 50 people. I had to go to the bathroom, but I was all the way in the front, and I refused to go in the back. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Finally, at about a quarter to 12 that night, they let me go on my own recognizance. And I was very fortunate because had they kept me there, I would have, at past 12, I would have had to stay for the weekend. I come home. And my wife says, where were you? I says, I was arrested. She goes, come on, where were you? I says, I was arrested. Finally, after the third or fourth time, she believed me. And that Monday, it was a bad weekend, uh, Craig. It was really not a good weekend. On Monday, my wife comes home from work, and I'm laying on the floor reading uh, the, the Telegraph, which is a racing form now, with a book called uh, Tom Ainsley's Complete Guide to Thoroughbred Racing. And she said to me, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm not going to go uh, bet with the bookie anymore, but I'm going to just go to the track with the money I have. She goes, you are crazy. Hmm. And the following Thursday, uh, Mar- uh, February 4th, 1971, she dragged me down to the uh, St. George Hotel meeting in uh, Brooklyn. And uh, we took the elevator up to the second floor. There was a guy named Jimmy R. And we got off the elevator. He said, uh, we're looking for GA. And he said, are you in uh, any trouble? I said, yeah, I just got arrested uh, last week. He says, great, come on in. I says, great, come on in. What are you talking about? At that first meeting, they read me 20 questions, which is is asked by every person who is new to the program. And to answer your question, how was my gambling in those days, if if it's okay, and I think it should be, I'd like to read to you the 20 questions for people who are listening and uh, get a good idea of whether they may think they're a compulsive gambler or not. And uh, it, it went like this. Well, before you do that, let me just uh, walk people through what Bruce is going to do here. For uh, those of us who are compulsive gamblers, when you go to your first GA meeting, there's a list of questions Bruce is about to read to us. And based on how many of those questions you answer yes to, it's kind right. of a guide to whether or not you fit the 
you know, the kind of the manuscript of having a problem. And every one of us has answered yes, if not to every one of these questions, to the majority of them. So that's what Bruce yeah. is going to do. So, yeah, we've never done that on this show, Bruce, so go yeah. right ahead. Yeah, it says at the bottom of the 20 questions, most compulsive gans- gamblers will answer yes to at least seven of these questions. So here we go. So did you ever lose time from work or school due to gambling? Well, I answered that question no, because school was not involved. Did you ever lose time from work? And I answered no. But now I, I would answer yes, because we would leave. Uh, I was going to CW Post College with a few friends of mine, and we'd leave early from uh, from school to go to Aqueduct. Uh, I would spend most of my time in the uh, library with the Morning Telegraph. And, uh, you know, it was, it was not a good let me time. Start, let me ask you a quick question. Were you stealing money to cover losses, or were you stealing money so that you could wager more? Both. Both, okay. You know what we used to do? I'm embarrassed to say. We used to take books from people's cars and go into the bookstore and resell them. We used to, when the new, when the new semester started, we used to go into the bookstore and throw books outside the door and come back and resell them. <laughs> Uh, we used to steal books and, and to go to Aqueduct. Got it. I mean, yeah, have you, has, two, has gambling ever made your home life unhappy? It was Yes, obviously. My home life was miserable. Arguments, fights, this really uncomfortable situation. Number three, did gambling affect your reputation? Yes, it affected it. And everybody knew I was a compulsive gamble liar, full yep. of you-know-what person. Four, has... You ever felt remorse after gambling? Of course, only when I lost, and I always lost. Compulsive gamblers never win. We always lose. I believe we gambled to lose, so I was always feeling remorse. Five, did you ever gamble to get money with which to pay debts or otherwise solve financial difficulties? This is the great insanity. The answer is yes to compulsive gambling. We, I never had money, and the reason I never had money and had financial difficulties because I gambled. And the insanity was, well, I'll just keep gambling. One of these days I'm going to win and I'm going to solve everything. Six, did gambling cause a decrease in your ambition or efficiency? Yes, of course. Seven, after losing, did you feel you must return as possible and win back your losses? Once again, we always lose. It never dawned on me that the way to get out of this insanity was to stop. I thought in the addiction that going back, one day I'm going to hit that big score and That'll take care of everything. Eight, after a win, did you have a strong urge to return and win more? Of course. Nine, did you often gamble until your, all your money was gone? I mean, to me, that's the silliest question. I, Of course, I, I never had any money. I always lost, and I was always broke. Did you ever borrow money? Did you ever borrow to finance your gambling? If I know you, Craig, I owe you. I, ha- I, <laughs> I, I mean, I had... Family finance, household finance, beneficial finance, banks, uh, friends, relatives. I borrowed from everybody. Eleven, have you ever sold anything to finance gambling? No. That's the only question I answered no. And you want to know why? Because I never had anything of value to sell. Twelve, were you reluctant to use gambling money for normal expenditures? I talk a lot about the answer is yes. I talk a lot about when I was working at the brokerage house, we lived. About on the way home, we lived about four blocks from the train station, four long blocks in Brooklyn. And when it was raining, I would put uh, 
on the way home from work, I would take the, the cardboard from the back of a legal pad and stuff it into my shoes. Why? Because my shoes always had holes in them. Mm. Always. I never thought of buying a pair of shoes. I never thought of buying a suit. I never went anywhere. I never did anything because everything that I took, you know, I, I stole enough money to buy two houses in those days, but it never dawned on me that. Did gambling make you careless of the welfare of yourself and of your family? Of course, yes. Sick 14, did you ever gamble longer than you had planned? What a ridiculous question. Uh, 15, have you ever gambled to escape worry, trouble, boredom, loneliness, grief, or loss? Yes, of course. 16, have you ever committed or considered committing an illegal act of finance gambling? Yes. You know, the first time I ever stole money was from my mother's purse. Hmm. I was about 10 or 11 years old. We lived in uh, 59th Street in Brooklyn. There was a, a, a church, St. Rosalie, that had a bazaar every uh, summer, and they had this big wheel. And I went, I went over there one night, and I lost about three quarters, and came back to, my, to the house, took a $10 bill from my mother's pocketbook, and went back and and stole and that and that was my thing. I always stole to uh, for gambling. And I I stole a Payne Weber for three years, three and a half years. And and here's the here's the insanity of it. I knew that I was going to get caught. I knew that I was going to get. How'd you caught. get caught? And, An internal audit or someone? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of the guys in my I was in charge of the bond department in the cage, meaning the back office. And one of the employees who worked for me in my department was. Checking out, you know, the, the accounts where I was taking the money from, and he caught me. I remember it was a, it was a, my boss came over to me and, and said, "Bruce, they want to see you upstairs and you know, the partners." And uh, we were by the elevator. I says, "Well, what's going on?" He says, "Well, they don't want to give you a raise." And we went upstairs, and I walked into this room. There was about twenty partners, and they sat me down and they asked me what was going on. And this is the first time I ever said that I was a compulsive gambler. Because I heard about compulsive gambling. I used to listen to WMCA to get the results. I, at night, there you know, was no uh, no way to get results in those days except the radio. And I was listening to the radio, and they had a show on one time on uh, WMCA late at night. And they were talking about, they had a compulsive gambling meeting, a gambler's anonymous meeting, excuse me. And I related to it, and I was crying. And my wife said, what are you crying about? And I said, I said I'm gambling, I can't. And she said, you'll, you'll be okay, you'll be okay. And so I knew about it. Uh, Gambler's Anonymous. Sure. How, how much uh, did you do uh, any time uh, for the theft or no? Well, they, uh, they um, yes, uh, I was sentenced uh, in May of May 23rd, 1972. After many court appearances, I finally, uh, it was due day. This was it. And I was in court and I was standing in front. The judge says, uh, please stand after I pled guilty to what I had done. And the two court officers uh, st came over to me, and they stood next to me. And I said, oh, my God, this is good. And he says, I'm sentencing you to a year in prison. And, uh, and they took me away. They put me in a cell. And uh, I did six and a half months in Rikers Island. I'm going to stop you right there. We'll continue on uh, with Bruce's uh, story right after this on Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, Dan Trelauer, quiet on this one, but like me, we're uh, both engaged hearing Bruce's story. Bruce W's got 50-plus years of recovery. So, Bruce, uh, if you want to finish the last three questions there, and then yeah, uh, I, will. I have a couple mm -hmm. questions for you. Go ahead. Sure. Did gambling cause you to have difficulty in sleeping? Yes. Do arguments, disappointments, or frustrations create within the urge to gamble? 
Yes, of course, escape. 19, did you ever have an urge to celebrate any good fortune by a few hours of gambling? Yes. And lastly, have you ever considered self-destruction or suicide as a result of your gambling? The answer is yes. I wished I was dead. I never had the uh, – I don't don't think it takes guts to clear yourself. I think it's the coward's way out. But I I wished I was dead many a time on a Sunday night when I knew that I had lost again with the bookies. I owed $1,400, $1,600, $2,000, and I had no money. I'm making seventy, eighty dollars a week. I would look up to the to the to the ceiling and say, "God, please take me. I just can't take it anymore." Please. So, other than your wife taking you to that first meeting, um, how did you actually conquer it uh, beyond just going to the first meeting? And did you ever gamble again from that first meeting uh, without anyone knowing? Yes, I gambled uh, for about a month and a few days from February fourth to March eighth. I finally stopped. Uh, because I ran out of money, but I still had this desire to one day I'm going to show him. I had the books up in the closet. My buddy would say to me, why don't you throw those books out? But here's what happened. You know, I had a spiritual awakening. I was working for a car service, and everyone in the car service gambled. It was one of the things they all did. I'm waiting for my turn to take out a, a client to a customer, and a guy came in from his run, and he asked the dispatcher, who got the triple at Aqueduct? And the guy said, ABD. And I says, and the guy went, ABD, I had ABF, and he pounded the table. I'm 30 years old at the time. This guy was 60. He was like, you know, old when you're 30, 60 years old. And I said to myself, a spiritual awakening. God came into my system, I swear. And at that particular moment, I said, do I want another 30 years of this? Do I want to go to jail again? And at that particular moment, I surrendered to step one of the program that I am powerless over gambling, and it made my life unmanageable. And from there, I started working the steps of recovery, which every person who really needs to stop should follow. And uh, the 12 steps, of course, we got from AA. And, and uh, So but that and was the moment, happened. though, for you. That was, yep, that it, was it. It, it wasn't done. the going to prison. It wasn't your wife. It wasn't the first GA meeting. It was that moment when you saw another guy twice your age saying, and you said to yourself, do I want to be that guy 30 years from now? Wow. Absolutely. And I'm telling you. And from that moment on, I said, I am done. I am done. I had said a thousand times, I will never. If if I get out of this, God, if, if I don't get caught stealing this last check, I swear I will never, ever, never, ever gamble again. And, of course, that was all. Uh, yeah, I yeah, made I made that promise uh, many times. Say <laughs> hey, if I if I win today, I'm done. Uh, I got I'm good. I'm out. No debt. I'm, I'm all good. Yep. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> I think this, we've all done that. Time, but this time, it was, and ever since then, uh, I've been on a, this path of uh, recovery that uh, has turned my life. Let me ask you this: around. you know, that's uh, there's a generational gap, of course, between your experience and what young men are going through now with the ease of you know the mobile phone gambling and. You know, uh, fantasy sports and now you know crypto and all the all the all the opportunity that's out there. It's it's almost unavoidable. Like I bet you, you know, five years from now there'll be more kids who are 21 years old that have gambled than haven't gambled. Which I don't know if that we've ever experienced that in our country's history. But for young guys who are at step one, who know that they got something going on, maybe they haven't told a friend, but in their heart they know they have a problem. And they're worried about taking that first step. What would your advice to those guys be? Take it. <laughs> Take that step. Because, you know, it was just interesting. I was just talking to a, a friend of mine's grandson, 21 years old. He lost 10 grand. And uh, he, he was looking for advice. I, 
Listen, you know, it's when you're 20, when you're young, when 21, we think we're, we're all powerful, that nothing can stop us, regardless of what's going on. We'll, we'll overcome it, we'll do it. But I'm telling you and the 21 year olds that are out there, stop. Go to Gamblers Anonymous. One day at a time, stop. Don't look at it as a lifetime program. Look at it as a one day at a time program. I'm telling the 21s, the 22s out there, if you do not stop, you will join, you will get on the carousel of insanity that I was on. And yeah. I would always look to get off. And I'm saying, okay, it's stopping. The carousel is stopping. Bruce, get off, please. I'm begging you. And I stayed on it, sped up again, sped up again, and, and there I was. Dan, let me ask you a question. Just in your experience talking to the amount of professional therapists and and uh, folks of, of that ilk that you've uh, connected with over the years, have they ever explained why we feel that way, why it's so hard for us to do what's the, the obvious smart thing to do? Yeah, it's that fear of the unknown. It's a, great, it's a great question because, you know, we almost become comfortable in the pain of the gambling addiction. It's predictable. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable, but it's something that we know. We know we've been there. We can understand it. We can predict it. Uh, some professionals have drawn a similar uh, comparison to those who stay in relationships that might become abusive over time. You know, it's easy to, on the outside to say, well, just get out of it. Why are you staying with this particular individual? But for the person who's involved, it's not that simple. And that's some of the parallels we see with how a process addiction like gambling can just, in a way, beat us up mentally, physically, emotionally, behaviorally, yet we stay in it because it's comfortable and predictable. And one of the things we hear from the young people, especially the 21 to 25-year-olds, they just can't envision a life without gambling. And it's in essence, they almost have to do what Bruce did over the last 50-plus years. They have to create a new life where gambling no longer fits into it. Instead of worrying about just trying to keep gambling out of their life, they've got to create that new life where it just doesn't fit in. Every phantom, what is the, the dream world of a compulsive gambler? It's in our little yellow book here. And everything that I dreamt about when I was uh, in the addiction, I got from abstinence. I, there's not one thing in the world that I, that I need right now. I have everything that I ever wanted. I have my family, two daughters that are GA babies, three grandchildren. I'm in Florida right now. I'm a snowbird. I fly up to New York. Uh, I have everything financially. I, I am abundant. I'm at peace. I'm a happy man. I'm telling you, it, became, it didn't come from gambling. It came from abstinence. And, and to your point about the people who are in the field of recovery for uh, sociologists, psychiatrists, uh, and whatnot, the smart ones who are dealing with an addict recommend them to Gamers Anonymous, recommend them to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, etc. As good as they may be, nothing can do what the uh, Gamers Anonymous and other 12-step programs can do for the, for the addict. Yeah, an yeah. addict is... That's all we know is addiction, and that's all we do. And I, love, I, I, I want to further that point because uh, I didn't. I didn't accept that years ago, and I'm you know three and a half years into my uh, sobriety. I didn't mm -hmm. accept. I didn't accept that. I fought that notion, and I can tell you now, three and a half years into my sobriety and my recovery, I accept that now because if I didn't meet other people like myself. I would have gotten over on every therapist I ever met in my life and told them what they wanted to hear and gone yep. and gambled. It was only because I met people like Bruce, like Dan, like the you know the 12 or 13 other folks I met in rehab 
where I was able to see other people and see myself in them. And the only way to do that is to surround yourself by people who have shared experiences. So I buy that now, but to be honest, I didn't buy that three years ago. I really didn't. Yeah, it's a hard thing to do. We, you know, we, we addicts believe in the fantasy world that one day, somehow, we will become what we wanted to be: successful, compulsive, successful gamblers. But the reality is, as I said before, we always lose. Compulsive gamblers never, ever, ever win. They may have a winning moment, a winning week, even a winning month, but at the end of the day, we lose. Well, everyone knows that story all too well. Bruce, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, from Florida today to join us. And I think your message is one that needs to be heard because, like we always say on the show, there's a lot more people who are about to go down that road who have no idea what's coming. And to hear from someone who's done it so successfully for so long, uh, I think is very powerful. So thank you very much for joining us this morning. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. I really appreciate the opportunity to carry the message of abstinence. Thanks. Thanks. Have a great day, Bruce. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for So, Dan, there wasn't a lot of talking, I'd say, for me and you, but, you know, when you have a guy that's done it for 50 years, I think his voice is far more important. And, you know, it really, it really doesn't matter whether it's horse racing in 1972 or if it's, you know, fantasy wagering on your phone in 2021. It's the same thing, right? Yeah, you know, it's just it, it's all dressed up differently, but it still hits the brain same ways, right? And, you know, the one thing Bruce said, I don't know if you picked up on it, but when he first got to that meeting, we had a gentleman, what, a few weeks ago, and it was his wife who brought him to that meeting. And yeah. once again, another instance of someone here, Bruce, who's got over 50 years of recovery, it was his wife. Before gambling was even like a really mainstream addiction that people were talking about, it's the spouse that saw it first and said, we're going. And there's, you know, it's just funny when I think about today and, and conversations you and I have had both online and offline about messaging to the family members and the loved ones, because they'll always see it first before the person with the problem. Yeah, like Dan, what Dan's alluding to, Dan and I got a call from a gentleman who has a, uh, a college-age son who uh, is a compulsive gambler. And the dad, you know, frankly, as many of us, you know, been in the same spot. I know my family was. You don't know who to talk to, who to turn to, how to get them help. And, uh, you know, obviously we've spoken to the family and uh, we'll try our best to make sure that the young man gets the help that he obviously needs. And, and that's part of the problem that, the, you know, the, the compulsions there, the addictions there, and a lot of people, because it's so new, not a knock at all on all the services that are out there, but because it's so new, people don't know where to turn. Yeah, and there's you know, so there's so many resources. It's it's crazy that state by state, more resources are becoming available, but it's getting the word out, right? We can create tons of content. We can create tons of of pages and web pages and infographics and literature, but it's the distribution of the content that's always the challenge, and making sure that people are aware that there are resources, not just for the person who struggles with the problem, but for the family members because they are vital vital key components in that road to recovery, as you and I both know. Well, I, as always, appreciate your time. Uh, Dan Trelawes with Epic Risk Management, formerly with the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, and you know, they do a great job as well. You know them better as 800Gambler. We'll, uh, we'll do it again next week, uh, getting ready for the holidays, and we'll have some special uh, programming for uh, Christmas and New Year's here on The Fan. Dan, as always, thanks so much. Have a great week. All right, coming up next, Sean Marash. Evan and I are back together Monday at 2 o'clock. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.